today's going to be session number eight in our series through 1 John. Last week we had a slight detour into a topic, a heavy topic called Do Not Pray. That was the clip from last week. So I want to begin today, kind of get us back into the 1 John mode. And I hope you see it as we go through here, because I've surely seen it, that John is painting this picture. And I want to describe the picture as I see it. The very first session was called the Word of Life. Everything begins there. In fact, this is the Word of Life. And then the Word of Life reveals the light of life. Light equals life. And then the third session was the truth about righteousness. That you can finally know the truth about right so that you wouldn't be wrong about what you thought was right. And then that revealed the foundation of the why. It was the new old commandment. Love God and love each other. And then that led to don't do it. <laughs> Whatever you do, just don't do it. Don't do what? Do not love this world or anything of this world. For if you do, the love of the Father is not in you. And then of all things, after he says don't do it, he says what? The Antichrist is coming. Okay, you got my attention. The Antichrist is coming. And then the next session was keep them safe. You see it? It's like this this giant picture that John's letter paints. And that brings us to today. This, he's going to identify the children of God. He's going to tell us how we can know who the children of God are and, and, and know for sure. So before I open 1 John chapter 3 and read it, let me ask you some questions to kind of set up today's topic. What is the value or the worth of becoming a child of God. Now, when I say that, I need to qualify something. My entire life, I have heard people say this, but we're all the children of God. We're all God's children. No, you're not. No, we're not. We're all God's creation. All humans that have ever lived on earth are all God's creation. Yeah, that's true. But not everyone will be called the children of God. It's, you might say it to make yourself feel good, but you're just lying to yourself. Not, we're not all God's children. So with that said, what do you think is the value or the worth of becoming a child of God? What do you think it would be worth to be able to get into God's family and to legitimately be able to call him father and legitimately him look at you and call you son or daughter? What do you think that's worth? Everything. What in life, what could this world possibly offer you or me of greater value than becoming a child of God? To be able to call him Abba, Father. Nothing. So, I used an illustration in the first service. Um, when my youngest son, Michael, when he was a little boy, um, and Michael's the one that played bass here just a few minutes ago on stage. When my young, youngest son, Michael, was a little boy, 
we had this little thing that we did. I don't even remember all the details. I just know we did it. I have no idea why we did it. But we had this thing where we would one-up each other. So whatever it was, it's kind of a guy-son thing. We would one-up each other. He would say he had the best of something or this, and I'd have to one-up him, or I'd say it, and he'd have to one-up me, and it just would go on and on and on. Every day it would be us trying to one-up each other about something. It got kind of fun. It was a game until one day, just out of the blue, Michael gave me one of his one-up moments, and I turned to him. I hadn't thought it through, and I looked at him, and I said, and I'm the blood-bought son of the Most High God. Go ahead. <laughs> Your turn. And little Michael just looked at me like, I'll have to get back with you on that one. <laughs> and I used that illustration to, to make the foundation today. There's nothing bigger. There's nothing in this life that will ever be greater value to know for a fact that I am one of the blood-bought children of the Most High God. Top it. Go ahead, try. Maybe you don't see the relevance of that statement today, but can I give you a word? One day you will. One day you will see that nothing in all creation will equal the value of Him calling you his son or daughter, and you calling him your father. To be recognized and known as the children of God. So do you remember the context of chapter 3? The Antichrist is coming and keep them safe. That was session 6 and 7. This will be number 8. So let's go back to chapter 3, the first verse. See how very much our father loves us? Now, the context is what? The Antichrist is coming to keep them safe. See, in that context, see how very much the Father loves us? For he calls us his children, and that is what we are. But people who belong to this world don't recognize that we, the church, are God's children because they don't know him. They don't know the Father that you know. John connects the spirit of Antichrist, the coming of the Antichrist person, and keep them safe to this statement. See how much the Father loves us? It's in the context. The Antichrist has come and keep them safe. But see how much he loves us? He calls us his children. You think he's going to abandon his children to the spirit of Antichrist? The context of chapter 3 is so important. Because it reveals what many in the church still won't acknowledge. I call it the spirit war. And those who will, will survive the spirit war and how. This past week when I took this detour and covered this do not pray sermon, I revealed to you that the, the gods, these, these false gods, these idols, say, well, I don't worship. Well, there's Moloch, and there's Baal, and there's Ishtar, the queen of heaven. And these gods are the idea that you can, you can get what you want without him. You don't need him. You, you can get what you want without him. Let's go around and get what we want, but we'll, we don't need him. It's called idolatry. And there's a war in heaven. 
and that war is playing out itself on this earth. And a lot of people go to church every week and you don't understand that the war is real. And I'm going to make a statement that, I, that I'm going to show you through the scripture to be true. Are you ready? Because here it comes. The children of God. The children of God are going to be the only survivors in this spirit war. That's it. It's going to be one group of people that are going to survive. They will be called the children of God. And John says, and that is what we are. And he says it in the context of the spirit of Antichrist. Keep them safe. See how much he loves us. He calls us his children. And that is what we are. The context explains this first verse of chapter 3. And by the way, there's no chapter breaks in the original letter. We've put those in later. Let me back up. I want to put it together to show you why John says, see how very much he loves us. So let's back up to verse 28 of chapter 2. And now, dear children, remain in fellowship with Christ. I'm going to do this. Here, this is what I want you to see when he says that. This is, this is Jesus, and this is me or you. And he says, okay, so y'all got to do this. Okay? So you got to do this. Dear children, remain in fellowship with Christ so that when he returns, you will be full of courage and not shrink back from him in shame. Since we know that Christ is righteous, he's right. We also know that all who do what is right are what? Say it out loud. God's children. Since we know that Christ is righteous, he's the one who's always right, can't be wrong. We know that all who do what is right, who do what he does, they're the children of God. John's challenge and warning to the church is in the context of Antichrist, keep them safe, remain in fellowship with Christ so that when, not if, he returns, You'll be full of courage, not shrink back from his name, shrink back from him in some kind of shame. This is right. This is right. Jesus has revealed what is right. I want to hold it up. This is right. It is the word of light. It is the light of life. It reveals the new old commandment. It's the truth about righteousness. Don't do it. The Antichrist is coming. Keep them safe. I'm going to tell you who the children of God really are so the Antichrist won't deceive you. That's what John's writing the letter about. Remain in fellowship, connection with the vine. All who do what is right, all who remain in fellowship with Jesus, John says, not me, all who do this, remain in fellowship with Jesus, they're going to be called in God's vocabulary, the children of God. Why? How? All who do what is right will be called in God's vocabulary. The children of God. Why? Why is that the standard? And how? 
It is only through Jesus that you and I can enter the family of God. So let's start here. I want you to understand the why and the how. Because he says, whoever remains in fellowship, they will do what, because Jesus is right, and you're hooked to Jesus, you're connected to Jesus, your, his right will go through you and make you right. But you have to remain in fellowship with him. So you need to understand that fundamentally, through Jesus is the only way I can enter this family of God. To become a child of God is how? I must become a brother of Jesus. Stay with me. If I'm going to be able to call God, his father, my father, then he must become my brother. I cannot enter this family apart from Jesus. You cannot get to the father directly. You must go to the son to get in the family to be called the children of God. So I want to show you Hebrews 2.11. It explains what I just said. Verse 11, so now Jesus and the ones he makes holy. I want you to notice there's two groups of people here. Jesus and the ones he makes holy have the same father, right? That is why Jesus is not ashamed to call them his brothers and sisters. For he, Jesus, said to God the Father, I will proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters. I will praise you among the assembled people. He, Jesus, also said, I will put my trust in him, that is I, and the children, that's us, God has given me. When you and I hear the word of God and receive the word of God as truth, you know what's happening? We're receiving Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior in that moment. I'm going to say it again. When you and I hear the word of God, somebody came to your house and told you about it. You went to a church, somebody preached about it. You went to a class, somebody opened and read it to you. And there's a point in your life where you heard, you were exposed to the Word of God. You received the Word of God as truth. And in that moment, by faith, you received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior by faith. But you know what you actually did in that moment? You received Jesus and you received the Word. They came together into your heart, the Word and Jesus. When you receive Jesus by faith, we are born again and become a brother of Jesus. When I'm born again, I become a brother. When the Holy Spirit comes inside of you, you become, you enter a family called the children of God. You enter that family by way of Jesus becoming your brother. In that moment, maybe you've never thought of it like this. In that moment, you receive the glory of God. I want you to get this. In the moment that you are born again, you receive Christ. You receive the Word. You receive Him. What was it that revealed Him to you? The Word. So when you receive the Word, you receive Him. And when you receive Him, you receive the glory of of God the Father. He is the glory of God the Father. 
When you receive the Holy Spirit, you receive the glory, the Spirit of Christ. And I need to tell you, you don't receive an it, you don't receive a thing, you receive the person of Christ. The glory of God comes inside of you. We literally receive the glory of God when we receive the Holy Spirit. In that moment, in that moment, I am in Jesus. In that moment, Jesus is in me. It is a literal thing. It's not just some philosophical, spiritual mumbo-jumbo. It is a literal thing that the glorious presence of God enters my body, enters inside of me, moves into my temple. I am born again. And listen, in that moment, I become a child of God. I become a child of God by way of becoming one with Jesus. We become, listen, brothers. That's what happens. That's how you get in this family. There's no other way to get in this family. And if we are brothers, we got the same father. Right? That's how it works. So Jesus is going to explain it. John 17. Jesus says this. He's talking to his father, okay? Jesus says, I've given them glory you gave me. So what's the glory? Me. Jesus says, I gave them me. I gave them the glory you gave me so they may be one as we are one. And here he says this. That's why I keep doing this right here. He says, I am in them. And you are in me. That's how you get to the Father. I am in them and you, Father, are in me. May they, the church experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me, and here it comes, this one I, I, I have a hard time with, so the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. What? Jesus said, I want the world to know that when they do this with me, you love them equally as much as you love me. That's a lot of love. Why? Because from God's perspective, he's having a hard time telling us apart. Because we have been joined to his son. And we become what? The children of God. I want the world to know that I love them as much as I love my only begotten son. Verse 24, Father, I want these whom you have given to me to be with me where I am. How many of you all want the same thing? Wherever he's at, that's where I want to be. Father, I want the ones you've given to me to be with me wherever I am. Then they can see what? This future event when they will be with him. Then they can see all the glory. Right now, how much glory do you see? Not this much. Then they'll be able to see all the glory you gave me because you loved me even before the world began. So what is the value of this Christ in me moment? 
everything. Why? Because we, the children of God, are the only ones that are going to survive the spirit war that many people, even some in this room, still refuse to acknowledge is real. The children of God are going to be the only survivors. If you're going to survive this spirit war, you must become a child of God. In fact, those who are not, those who are not the children of God will look at the children of God with hatred. Tell me that's not evidence of the war. It's evidence of the war that those who are not the children of God will look at the children of God and hate them just because they're the children of God. Why? Because the spirit war is real. And if you don't have Jesus, you have the other spirit by default. And you don't want to hear it, but it's true. If you don't have Jesus, if he, if you don't have this, if you don't have the Holy Spirit, if you have not been born again, then you have the other spirit by default. So I'm going to repeat John, 1 John 3, 1. See how very much our Father loves us? For he calls us his children, and that is what we are. But people who belong to this world, see there's another group of people but the people who belong to this world, they don't recognize, they won't acknowledge that we're God's children because what? They don't even know the Father, much less his family. So let's go to the gospel of John chapter 15. And Jesus reveals this truth to his children. And if the world hates you, remember it hated me first. The world. Why is it the world, the world, the world? Who's the world? They're not the children of God. The world would love you as one of its own if you belong to it, but you're no longer part of the world. I chose you to come out of the world, so the world hates you. And yet most people in the church still don't understand why don't they like me? Why don't they like us? When we, when we go out into the world and say, thus saith the Lord, and then you duck. <laughs> Why don't they like me? They have a different father. They have a different agenda. They have a different goal, different master. Do you see the spirit war? This chapter 3 is in the context of the Antichrist is coming and keep them safe. Do, do you see it? So let's move on. What now? Because here's, here's where I'm going today. What now? After we become the children of God, by becoming one with Jesus in spirit, Christ in me, the Word in me, okay, what now? This next part is where much of the modern American church is struggling. What now? After we come to faith in Christ, what now? I'm going to read verses 1 and 2 again. See how very much our Father loves us? For He calls us His children, and that's what we are. But people who belong to this world don't recognize that we are God's children because they don't know Him. Dear friends, we are already, listen, we are already God's children. But he has not yet shown us what we will be like when 
Christ appears. But you're already God's children. But we do know that we will be like him, for we will, in that future event, we will see him as he really is. So we need to come to grips with a spiritual truth. We are already God's children by believing the word. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. We're already God's children by believing the word. The word is the person of Christ. The word is Christ in me. The word is the word in me. The word in me is Christ in me. Christ in me is the word in me. You can't go pulling part of that one out. It's the same. So what now? While we're waiting... Let me, let me tell you this. We're not waiting to become the children of God. So I'm waiting. Um, that psalm we read last week, like a, watchman's wait, like a watchman waits for the morning, like a watchman waits for the morning. But while we're waiting, we're not waiting to be the children of God. We're already the children of God. If Christ is in me, if the Word is in me, then we're the children of God. We are right now, right now, not a future event. We are right now the blood-bought children of the Most High God. Understand, we're already. But we are currently, what's the problem in? We are currently trapped inside of this mortal flesh on top of a fallen world. There's the problem. But we're already the blood-bought children of the Most High God, but we're trapped inside of mortal flesh. Born again? Yes. But we're still in this mortal flesh, waiting the resurrected, eternal, immortal body of the last day. So what are the struggles in our time of waiting? Why is it a spirit war? John says, dear friends, we're already God's children already. But He has not yet shown us what we will be like when Christ appears. But we do know that we'll be like Him, for we will see Him as He really is. Can your mind comprehend what we will be like when Jesus comes and gives us an eternal, resurrected, immortal body? Sometimes what I do is this. I'll read something like that when He says, um, He has not yet shown us what we'll be like when Christ appears but we know we'll be like him. So I just sit, close my eyes and say, okay, what would that be like? I can't think big enough. Because everything I have is trapped in this flesh. I just, I can't, even my imagination, I can't hardly go over it. It goes out of bounds. I don't know how to go that far. We're going to be like him? Like him? What will be, what will it be like in that moment? No, no one knows for certain, but we do know that we'll be like him. Will we be able to walk through walls, move between time and space? We'll, we'll be like him. We'll be like him. If you notice, when Jesus comes in his resurrected body, he appears to his disciples there in Jerusalem, and the Bible says he, the door's closed and he walks through the wall. Will you be able to do that, or you boom, you hit your head? Which one? Is that, is he going to, is this new body going to, to move, to do things that you and I cannot comprehend? 
I remember just recently I turned on um, the TV or I was on the internet and I was watching a Billy Graham sermon, an old Billy Graham sermon. And Billy Graham was being interviewed and he described just what his imagination did with this verse. And he said this, he said, um, I believe that in my new body, I will be able to, to move between different places in the universe. And time will be of no bearing and distance will be of no effect. And I will be able to move and experience God's created order in ways that my mind right now cannot even comprehend. We will be like him. But that be like him statement has two parts. And that's what I want to talk about. There's two parts. To be like him now and to be like him in the future. A lot of people have the idea, okay, I will be like him then, as if somehow or another becoming a child of God is a future tense event. But the reality is you're already the children of God, so we're supposed to be like him now. And we will not ultimately be able to be like him fully until that last day resurrection, but we're supposed to be like him now, the light of the world. That be like him statement has two parts for our time of waiting. We will be like him while we are still trapped in this mortal flesh. So we're supposed to be like him, yeah, even though I'm wrapped in a, in a, in a body that's subject to death. But one day we will be like him when we finally receive our resurrected bodies, immortal and eternal flesh. So let's start with the first part. In our time of waiting, we will live. If you are born again, if the word is in you and Christ is in you and you are legitimately a blood-bought child of the Most High God, you know what you will be doing in the time of waiting? You will live to do the will of the Father. Yes, you will. You know why? Because he's in you. You will live to do the will of the Father. So if you're struggling with that, let me just put it like this. Can you possibly comprehend that the creator of the universe has moved inside your tent and you're not going to be different? He can, he can just slip in there and you don't notice? He says you become a new creation, a new creature. You've been born again. The first you died. This is the new you. And you, born again, will live to do the will of the Father. The true children of God will always seek the Father's will. That's how it works. This is Jesus' prayer to the Father before he goes to the cross. Let's go to the Gospel of John 17, verse 2. For you have given him authority over everyone. He gives eternal life to each one you've given him. And this is the way to have eternal life. Jesus is explaining the way to have eternal life. To know you, the only true God. Well, well how is that possible? You've got to get in this family. To know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ, the one you sent to the earth. Now, here's, here's the spirit of Christ, the spirit, the person of Christ. I brought to you, I brought glory to you. Jesus is talking to his Father. I brought glory to you here on the earth by what? By how? By completing the work that you gave me to do. 
What was the work? The cross. The cross. How did Jesus, the Son, bring glory to the Father? By completing the assignment of the Father. The cross. Now, Father, bring me into the glory we shared before the world began. This becomes what Jesus said becomes our mission. What? To complete the work of the Father when Jesus enters into our hearts because we have become one with Christ. There's the spirit war. You remember in the garden of Gethsemane, Jesus is like sweat, is like drops of blood. He is in anguish, in anguish, in anguish. Why? Because he doesn't want to die. He is fully God and he is fully man. And the fully man part does not want to die. I don't either. And yet the will of the Father is you will die. Tomorrow you will die. You will lay your life down for the sins of mankind. Tomorrow you will die. And what did he say? Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. That's it. And if that person who says that comes into you, what happens to you? Does it make sense that Jesus says that if you want to be my disciple, you must deny yourself? That's what he did in the garden. You must take up the cross. That's what he did after the garden. And you must follow me, not my will, but yours be done. How's that possible? Well, it's not possible until you're born again. And it's not possible until he moves inside of your tabernacle, your tent, your body. It is only possible with him. We seek, after we're born again, after we become the blood-bought children of the Most High God, we seek to bring honor and glory to the Father. We are in the pursuit of God. We are in the pursuit of holiness by living a pure life. Yes, even inside this corrupted human flesh, we pursue a pure, holy life. How? By living under the power and authority of the Spirit. But you have to understand something. Christ in me also means the Word in me. Christ in me is the Word in me. The Word in me is Christ in me. 1 John 3, verse 2. Dear friends, we're already God's children. But he has not yet shown us what we'll be like when Christ appears. But we do know we'll be like him, for we will see him as he really is. Verse 3, and all who have this eager expectation, what, we're going to see him as he really is? We're going to be like him? All who have this eager expectation will do something. They will keep themselves pure. Does anybody listen? What do we do while we wait? In the time of waiting, they will keep themselves pure just as he is pure. So what do we do in the time of waiting? We live to honor him. We live to please him. Not my will, but his. I deny myself in the time of waiting. I take up the assignment, the cross of God upon my life, my body in the time of waiting. I follow him in the time of waiting. But there's a second part. We wait for this mortal human flesh to be resurrected and transformed into eternal immortal flesh. But I got to tell you something. That promise that you're going to get a new glorified, wonderful, able to do amazing things body only applies to the children of God. Anybody listening? So if you're thinking, ooh, boy, this is good. And you're not a child of God. 
You're not going to get that body. You're not going to get that body. Dear friends, we're already God's children, but he has not yet shown us what we will be like when Christ returns. But we do know we'll be like him, for we will see him as he really is, like him. Like him. Just process that. We'll be like resurrected Jesus. We're going to receive a body like the resurrected Jesus' body. How? When? When do you get that? Do you get it when you're born again? Nope. You're already God's children, but you don't get the body much yet. You know when you get the body? On the resurrection of the last day. I'm going to read it to you. 1 Corinthians 15, 50. What I am saying, dear brothers and sisters, is that our physical body, that's the one you're wearing now, our physical body cannot inherit the kingdom of God. It's not going to happen. Why? These dying bodies cannot inherit that which will last forever. But let me reveal a wonderful secret. Now, I'm going to tell you, if somebody tells you a secret, it's not a secret anymore, is it? And if it's a wonderful secret, he's trying to get the word out cleverly. Let me tell you a wonderful secret. We will not all die. Do you know what that means? What's he talking about? It's called the rapture of the church. We will not, there will be a generation that will not get a new body through the graveyard. There will be a generation that will get a new body on the last day, and it is the same day. But you won't go through the grave to get it. You'll go through the cloud to get it. And as of right now, can I just say, I'm looking around, nobody looks like you've fallen out yet. That's us. That as of this moment, you're a candidate. We will not all die. Somebody say hallelujah. I'm banking on the first option. But we will all be transformed. He's talking about the children of God. We will not all die, but we will all be transformed. It'll happen in a moment, in the blink of an eye. How fast is that? It's fast. When the last trumpet is blown, for when the trumpet sounds, those who have died, now we're talking about those who are in the graveyard. That's not us. But they're the children of God. They're the children of God. It only applies to children of God. If you're not a blood-bought child of the Most High God, no sense in reading it. it. Only applies to them. For the trumpet sounds, and those who have died will be raised to live forever. And we who are living, now we're back in our category, we who are living will also be transformed. For our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. Why? Because you're going to be out of place in heaven. If you got a dying body in heaven, you don't fit. Because there are no dying bodies in heaven. You understand? That's why that change must take place before your arrival. There is no death there. There's no death there. Then, verse 54. When our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, this scripture will be fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Is it difficult, let's be honest with each other, for the human mind to comprehend what I just read to you? 
There's going to be this noise, a voice, a shout, an arcane, blah, 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 and all of a sudden, grave. <laughs> blink of an eye. I'm too slow. And then you're going up. And you're, it, so he's like, yeah, yeah, I can see that. No, you can't. I can't either. Only the Spirit, only the Spirit can enable me to believe that and bank my entire life on this. Only the Spirit of Christ can do this in me. My physical body is not going to believe that. My physical nature is not going to believe that. Jesus, he tried to explain what I just tried to explain to the Jews and they couldn't get it either. Why? They were too focused on the physical. And here's what the battle was. They couldn't connect Christ in me, let's put that over here, and the resurrection of the last day. They couldn't connect the fact that eternal life was a man coming inside of a man. Couldn't get it. That, a, that eternal life was a man coming inside of a man. And the resurrection of the last day was going to be dependent upon a man coming inside of a man. That Jesus would have to enter a man. That the Spirit of Christ would have to come into a man. They, they, could they get it? They couldn't get it. Couldn't get it. You know what it's a picture of? And, and we've got so much more information than they did, so don't look down on them. It's a picture of communion. You just did it. You just did it. Maybe you didn't think you were doing it, but you were in communion. You take the body of Christ and the blood of Christ, and you put the man of Christ inside of you. And Jesus comes and he says, that, that picture is the gospel. That picture, that a man will enter a man, and they'll become brothers. And the Father will raise him on the last day. What? It's communion. It's the picture of communion. Four times in John chapter 6, Jesus says, I will raise you up on the last day. He's talking to the church age saints. And it's a picture of communion. So I want to read that to you so that you and I understand what is the connection. What makes you a child of God, and what guarantees that you'll be in the resurrection of the last day and not be abandoned to the grave? John 6, 35. Jesus said, Jesus replied, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But you haven't believed in me, even though you have seen me. However, those the Father has given me will come to me, and I will never reject them. For I have come down from heaven to do the will of God who sent me, not to do my own will. And this is the will of God, that I should not lose even one of all those he has given me, but that I should raise them up at the last day. Stay with me. He's connecting this story to the last day resurrection. For it is my Father's will that all who see His Son and believe in Him should have eternal life. And I will raise them up on the last day. Now he's describing the blood-bought children of the Most High God. Now here comes the detail. Jump down to verse 47. Same chapter. 
Jesus said, I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes has eternal life. Yes, I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, but they all died. Anyone who eats the bread from heaven, anyone who eats me, that's what he's saying. Anyone who eats the bread from heaven, however, you'll never die. How do you think that's going to go over? They're going to think he's nuts. Your ancestors ate bread from heaven, manna. They all died, but whoever eats me, never die. Verse 51, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will live forever, and this bread which I will offer so the world may live, da 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 da, da is my flesh. Have a nice day. You think they got it? You think they got it? No. You think people today get it? No. No. Look at the next verse. Then the people began arguing with each other about what he meant. How can this man give us flesh to eat? So Jesus said again, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man. Do you see it? They're only thinking this physical mind. They don't see a spiritual realm. Unless you eat the flesh, unless you get me on the outside, on the inside of you, you're going to die. I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you cannot, you cannot have eternal life within you. But anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And here it comes, and I will raise that person at the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is real or true drink. And anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood rem remains in me and I in him. That's it. I live because of the living Father who sent me. In the same way, anyone who feeds on me will live because of me. I am the true bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will not die. Will not die. Somebody say hallelujah. Even though they ate manna and the, ate the manna, but will live forever. These are the children of God. Anyone who feeds on me will live because of me. What does it mean? Christ in me. Connected to God through my brother Jesus. The word in me is Christ in me. Now, let's go to the first 1 John chapter 3, I want to put it all together again because there's one more big point, one more big point today. I'm going to read the first six verses. See how very much our Father loves us, for he, is called, for he calls us His children. And that's what we are, but the people who belong to this world don't recognize that we are God's children because they don't know Him. Dear friends, we are already God's children, but He has not yet shown us what we will be like when Christ appears. But we do know that we will be like Him, for we will see Him as He really is. And all who have this eager expectation will keep themselves pure just as He is pure. And everyone who sins is breaking God's law. For all sin is contrary to the law of God. And you know that Jesus came to take away our sins, and there is no sin in Him. And anyone who continues to live in Him, here it comes, 
Anyone who continues to live in him, that's this, will not sin. What? And anyone who continues to live in him will not sin. But anyone who keeps on sinning does not know him or understand who he is. Christ in me. The word in me. The blood and the body of Christ creates two things in a believer. First, we live to do the will of the Father even while we're in this, trapped in this human flesh. But while we are trapped in this human flesh, listen church, His Spirit compels us to keep ourselves pure and holy. Secondly, we wait with anticipation and expectancy for the day when this human flesh will be resurrected and transformed into eternal flesh. And anyone who continues to live in Him will not sin. But anyone who keeps on sinning does not know Him or understand who He is. Yes, we are still in the flesh. Yes, church, listen, we will sometimes fall into sin, but we cannot remain in sin while we live in Him and He lives in us. We cannot remain in that sin. The Spirit of Christ will compel us to confess. The Spirit of Christ will compel us to repent restoring our fellowship with Christ. We died to sin. We died with Christ. That doesn't mean we're sinless. It does mean we sin less. There's a difference. In Romans 6 verse 1, the Apostle Paul describes it so clearly. Church, this is what most of the church doesn't want to hear today. Well then, should we keep on sinning? So that God can show us more and more of this amazing, wonderful grace. Of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it any longer? Or have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death? You died. For we died. We were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. We're not the same. And since we have been united with Him in His death, we will also be raised to life as He was. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We're no longer slaves to sin. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. And since we died with Christ, we know that we will also live with Him. There's the children of God. This describes my great concern for much of the modern American church that claims to live as Christians but has never truly been born again through the death of self and the filling of the Holy Spirit. Christ in me, the Word in me. Do you believe in the Spirit war? The Holy Spirit versus the unholy Spirit, both working on the earth in this present day? Do you believe the Spirit of Antichrist will deceive people in the last days? Do you think it's possible? That the spirit of Antichrist will actually deceive people thinking they can be saved without being born again into Christ? 
that people will think they're saved and they do not have the Holy Spirit and they do not have the Word in me. They don't have Christ in me and yet they somehow have been deceived thinking they have salvation. John believed it. This is the closing of this section from 1 John. And I ask you, listen very carefully. Verse 7. Dear children, don't let anyone deceive you about this. Why? That's a warning. Don't let anyone deceive you about this. When people do what is right, it shows that they are righteous, even as Christ is righteous. But when people keep on sinning, it shows that they what? Belong to the devil. Well, that was rather insensitive, wasn't it? When people keep on sinning, no repentance, no remorse, no conviction. It shows that they belong to the devil who has been sinning since the beginning, but the Son of God came to destroy the work of the devil. Those who have been born into God's family, who are we talking about? The children of God. Those who are born into God's family do not make a practice of sinning. Because God's life is in them. Christ is in me. The Word is in me. So they can't keep on sinning because they are children of God. They can't keep it up. Why? Because the Spirit of Christ compels them to repent and turn to God. Verse 10, so now we can tell. I don't know that there's a more plain verse in the Bible. So now we can tell who are children of God, who are the children of the devil. Anyone who does not live righteously and does not love other believers does not belong to God, regardless of what you might think yourself. I don't find those words confusing at all. In fact, they're very sobering and plain. Do you believe there's a spirit war, the Holy Spirit versus the unholy spirit working currently on the earth? The context of today's message is the Antichrist is coming. Keep them safe. Do you believe the spirit of Antichrist will actually deceive people in the last days, thinking they can be saved without being born again, thinking they can be saved without Christ in me, thinking they can be saved without the Word in me? They don't need Christ. They don't need the Word. They just what? I don't, I don't know what they need. It is deceived. Do you believe some people belong to Christ and they are called the children of God? Let's make it just two simple questions. Do you believe some people belong to Christ? They have done this and they're called the children of God. Do you believe everyone else belongs to the devil and they're called the children of the devil? Well, I like the first part, but I don't really like the second one. That sounds rather judgmental, narrow-minded. Well, let's see how you take this one. The children of God are going to get what Jesus gets on the last day. A resurrected body and a place in the Father's house. <laughs> I want to say it again. The children of God are going to survive the spirit war. And they're going to get what Jesus gets on the last day. They're going to get a resurrected body and a place in the Father's house. 
The children of the devil are going to get what Satan and the demons are going to get on the last day. Do you know what that is? Somebody say nothing. Oh, it's something. It's next to nothing, but it's something. I want to read it to you. Revelation 12, 7. There was a war in heaven. I told you there's a war. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. That's Satan and his angels. You know, Satan's got angels. And the dragon, Satan, lost the battle, and he, was, he and his angels were forced out of heaven. This great dragon, the ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, the one deceiving, that's how he does it, deceiving the whole world, was thrown down to the earth with all of his angels. Jesus himself describes this last day event of judgment for those who are the children of the devil. I want you to understand that the children of God are going to get what Jesus gets on the last day. You're going to get a new resurrected body and a place in the Father's house. So you need to count the cost. The children of the devil are going to get what the devil gets. Matthew 25, 41. Jesus says, then the king will turn to those on his left. Those are the children of the devil. And say, away from me. Away with you. You cursed ones. Into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his demons. Away from me. The eternal fire was prepared not for people. Do you know that? It was prepared for the devil and his demons. But Jesus says that that will include people, anyone who was deceived and became, because of the deception, became a child of the devil instead of a child of God. I got a preacher friend of mine that years ago we used to say, what are the most horrible verses in the Bible? Let me give you one of them. That on the last days, on the last day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, I prophesied in your name. I did this in your name. I did that in your name. And Jesus is going to look at him and say, I don't know who you are. What you didn't do is we never did this. We never did this, buddy. You did a lot of stuff, but you never did this. I don't know you. Do you know who he's talking about? Many will say to me, Lord, Lord. you know what Lord, Lord means? Those aren't pagans saying that because pagans aren't going to say Lord, Lord. Those are church people who practice religion and never experience the relationship of becoming one with Christ. I'm going to wrap it up. Can you say today that you're a child of God? Can you say, I'm a blood-bought child of the Most High God with confidence? Do, do you, and I'm not talking about, some people say well, that's arrogance. No, it's called faith. Big difference. Arrogance would be based upon me. I'm a blood-bought child. Faith is based upon him. I'm a blood-bought child. Big difference. Do you want to test? Let's do it. I want to test to help you see if you can make that statement with confidence. It's not self-righteousness. It's faith in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. It's the word in me. So let's take a test, all right? I'll take the same test I'll ask you to take. 1 John 3, 9 and 10, two verses. Those who have been born into God's family. So what are we talking about? Children of God. You want to take the test? Are you, those who are born into God's family, 
Do not make a practice of sinning. Uh Uh-oh. Because God's life is in them. So they can't keep on sinning because they're the children of God. Uh Uh-oh. So now we can tell who the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Anyone who does not live righteously and does not love other believers does not belong to God. How do you like the test? I'd like to write my own test. So here we go. I'm not going to leave you there. Praise God. Hallelujah. I don't want anybody left there. But what if I sin? Okay, preacher. You got my attention. What if I sin? What if I fall? Am I done for? Go back and listen to session three. We have an advocate. Praise God. Hallelujah. This whole sermon's about an advocate. An advocate. I want to read just a part of it. 1 John 2, 1. My dear children, I'm writing this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. And he wants to be your brother. What if I struggle my entire life with the sin nature and my mortal flesh? How can I overcome this dreadful spirit of Antichrist and the deadly spirit war? There's only one way. Ladies and gentlemen, you will only survive this war with Christ in you. You will only survive this war, this war with the Word in you. That's the only, only the children of God are going to survive this. The children of God are going to be the only survivors in the spirit war. And how would the children of God survive past and present? How do they survive? I'm going to let Jesus answer that big question. Jesus tells John to write this down and deliver it to the church at Pergamum. It's called the Revelation. To the church, he writes this. Revelation 2.16. You ready? Repent of your sin. But I don't want to. Then you'll die. Repent of your sin, or I will come to you suddenly and fight against them with the sword of my mouth. What is the sword of his mouth? This. This. Repent of your sin, or or you will find me your enemy, and I will come with my words and judge you. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he's saying to the churches. To everyone who is victorious, I will give some of the manna that has been hidden away in heaven. And I will give to each one a white stone. White stone means you're innocent, forgiven. And on that stone will be engraved a new name that no one understands except the one who receives it. Repent. (laughs) Oh, what a word. That word brings horror to some groups of people. You can go to some groups of people and say, repent, for the word of God says, and you better duck. I don't want to hear, don't, don't, who are you to judge me? Brings horror. Maybe today you're one of those people. You don't want somebody to look at you and say what I just read to you. That you think you're a child of God, but you are deliberately, willfully rebelling against God and sin has enslaved you. Today, you can break that bondage. How? Repent. Repent. That word brings horror 
to some and anger to some people. But you know what the other side is? Because I got to tell you, I'm on the other side. That word makes me smile so big my jaw hurts. You know why? Because that means he'll let me come back into this. That when I've done this pulling apart and I repent, he opens it up and says, come back in here. Come back. Come back. Come back. I'll receive you. Totally. I will hold on to you. I wonder if that's not the most wonderful word in the Bible next to Jesus' name himself. It is God's way to restore a broken relationship, to start all over again, to turn and to do what is right. Just turn around and change your direction. Turn around and do what is right. Just turn around and do what is right, but I don't want to. Then you will die. You will die in your sins. Everybody knows the picture of the prodigal son. I don't know that there's a word, a picture that describes repent better than the prodigal son. There's this guy and he's standing in a pig pen, right? He's filthy, dirty in the pig pen. And his father's wonderful house is down the road somewhere. And there's a point in his life that he stood up in the pig pen and with his back to God, Filthy, dirty, broke, no future, lost. And he turns around and he looks toward the house. He looks toward the Father's house. It's this picture of repentance. It is changing your direction, acknowledging my filth, acknowledging my sin, myself, my wretched decisions, and turning around to the Father. Now, here's the beautiful part. It's the only place. He comes about the pig pen, starts walking toward the house. It is the only place in the Bible that I've ever found that even mentions slightly the idea of God running. God running? That when the, the prodigal son comes out of the pig pen in repentance, a picture of God the Father on the porch, and he runs toward the son. He runs toward him. He runs toward him. That's the most beautiful scene in all the world. So this word that you hate, repent, is God running towards you to save your soul. The children of Satan, here's the conclusion today. They will never repent and turn to God. I'm in a revelation study on, or tribulation study on Wednesday nights. And in the midst of the tribulation, in the middle of all the tribulation, tri I mean, uh, all hell's breaking loose on the earth. And there's several times the verses say, and they refuse to repent of their sins and turn to God. I don't understand. I'll ask Chad to come on out for the invitation. The children of Satan will never repent of their sins and turn to God. They won't do it. Why? I don't know. But here's what I do know. The children of God always do. Do you hear me? The legitimate children of God, they always do. Because the Holy Spirit compels them to do so. What's the value? I started with a question. What do you think the value of being a child of God is? Well, I'll tell you what the value is. Do you know that the Bible says that when you get to heaven... 
you, if you're a child of God, you will be a co-heir of Christ. Do you know what co-heir means? Everything he has is yours. And everything you have is his. And you're getting a better deal. Right? Because everything he has becomes yours. Who would turn this down? You get a new body. You get a place in the Father's house. He's rich. He's everything. He's, you, you're an heir to the, to the creator of the universe. One way you turn it down. And you know what it is. One way. You, you know what it is, don't you? You don't believe it. You don't believe it. They're called unbelievers. Hell will be populated with unbelievers. Somebody told you, you didn't believe it. So today we offer an invitation. Maybe you today needs to be the day you repent. You're in the pig pen, stand up, turn face the Father. His arms are open. He'll receive you. Quit denying the truth. Maybe today you've got something against a brother. Do you know there was a second part in that? That if you hate your brother, if you've got a church person you hate, despise, you need to make that right. You need to fix it. You need to fix it. Or maybe you've never accepted Christ at all. Maybe you, there, you, you've never been born again. You, you've never received Christ, and, which means you're just lost. But today, you've heard a word of truth. You can become a child of God. Jesus has become your brother. And everything is his has become yours. Decisions yours. The decision time is over. Let's stand.